We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, welcome into the latest edition of the OBR Film Breakdown. It is your Friday, March 24th edition, which if it's Friday and I'm at my house, which I am, that means we're going to get an episode of Franchise Mode, which I love to do these every week because I get to talk about something other than the daily conversations that we have here on the Cleveland Browns. We tie it back to the Browns, but there's certainly a, a bit more uh, you know, discussion around the league I like to have, and that always involves Andrew Spade. So Andrew, what's up, man? Thanks for joining. Hey, Jake. How you doing? Hanging in, hanging in. It's been a whirlwind of a week, a lot of film, a lot of, you know, I, I'm trying to catch up from a trip away, which I hate. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I don't love vacations because it, it makes me feel like I'm behind on things I need to do work-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just get this general unease about work I have to do and things that need to be done. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of weird, but nonetheless, you, uh, caught back up a little bit here. Do you have any recommendations from, from where you went? Uh, well, we went to Indianapolis because of which is not a so it's kind of like the Joachim Noah theory back in the day when he'd be like, who goes to Cleveland for vacation? Um, right. You know, you don't really go to Indy very often, but it was it was close. And we had a, a friend of my wife was having her baby shower. So we just made a thing out of it, which what's nice is that they have some great stuff for kids to do. So our two young ones, like the Children's Museum they have over there is really cool. Yeah. Um, very entertaining for them. And the uh, Indianapolis Zoo was a good time. So uh, there you go. If you ever meander over to Indy and you, you don't. Uh, have sports involved and you have kids now you have something uh something fun to do so take that for what it's worth andrew if you go to perfect they have pretty cool malls and stuff like that too but um you know if you're into that sort of stuff i actually (laughs) the only other time i went to indy haven't been for the combine which i really want to go next year but i went to the big 10 championship game the the year they played wisconsin and, and had to knock tcu out by beating wisconsin pretty thoroughly um I don't know, was that 2014? That was the year they won the national championship sneaking in. Ohio State did, but I don't know. I can't remember. I think it was 2014, but that was fun. But a uh, different experience downtown than kind of looking around at some other things in the in the city there. So, uh, yeah, that's the uh, Indianapolis summary for you. So take that and run with it. Uh, <laughs> listen, what we're going to do today is look at uh, a couple things that relate to the Browns because we're always bringing our Browns perspective into this whole thing. But um, to me – 
I think Andrew, what's interesting is framing some, what if things went differently uh, for the Browns? Because the Deshaun Watson moment was such a pivotal moment in the Cleveland Browns history that it's not hard to see where they could be in the situation we're seeing a lot of these other teams in, right? So I think the one that stands out to me is 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 who they just parted, you know, brought in um, with Elijah Moore and who they dealt with, which is the Jets. So I think the Jets, and I, as I talked to Scott Mason, who does play like a Jet uh, the other day, uh, just recording about Elijah and everything that went down there, I think from our side, we are kind of laughing at the Jets. Just, I cannot believe the Jets let go of Elijah Moore. Why would they do this? Sell low. They didn't even get that great. They gave up a pick, essentially, right, when they should have gathered. But what it smells like to me more than anything, Andrew, is that the whole thing about them getting Aaron Rodgers is tied to having as much uh, assets there as possible. They don't really want to give up a first-round pick. Uh, maybe I think they only have one first-round pick, but they really would try to do some other things creatively to get him. So what I got to thinking is we're all bashing the Jets. Even today I said in a joking fashion, like, the Jets are going to regret this. They like I think that I really believe that. I think more is good. But the question would be, if you're a franchise who cannot figure out quarterback, the Jets <laughs> perpetually cannot figure out quarterback. Now, Browns fans have sort of eased their way into thinking that they're above this when we were in that, fr- that fracas forever. Um, and we still need to see if Deshaun Watson is going to put us above that issue. But the levels of desperation for a quarterback, I think you you have to step back and try to understand perspective. So what I'm generally asking here. As you look at Aaron Rodgers' contract, which in 23, these are the cap numbers in the coming years. And I don't know if he retires early what these shake out to be, but it's 31 in 2023, 40.7 in 2024, 59.3 um, in 25, and 26 is 53.45. And those numbers, which, you know, if you look at Deshaun's numbers, they're in the 60s. Those are not crazy numbers to us, but they're a lot, especially for a team like the Jets who haven't had to pay a quarterback like that for a significant amount of time. Would you be doing like with everything around Aaron Rodgers, Andrew, like the obviously the he's a polarizing figure. Let's just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Would you be comfortable with the Browns if he was interested in the Browns? Would you be comfortable with them going after him, not just going after him and selling yourself? Because what you're doing is I think if he retires, you carry some of those cap numbers. Now, there's going to be some capologists, probably our own jacked up and listens to this and hits us up with a DM in the morning. If he retires, what those cap numbers become. But like. It's very interesting to me that some people in jet circles are not into this this move, and some of them are really into it. And I think it's a matter of what Aaron Rodgers is as a quarterback right now, how you view that, uh, all the stuff he comes with. But like, I, I, I'd be very curious if this were the Browns because it's very possible it could have been. If they kept Baker Mayfield for one more year, and this offseason we would be looking and trying to solve how do they – figure out quarterback for a while here. And they would probably involve doing some creative things like maybe with Elijah Moore. I don't know that the Browns have a wide receiver comparison. I think let's, let's let's reel that back a second in a world where they didn't get Deshaun Watson, Andrew, they probably would have drafted a wide receiver early, right? Um, Probably would have. I mean, I think most of the bigger names were gone in front of them. Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Olave were all gone in front of them, but they would have moved up. They would have known what they needed to do, in my opinion, and moved up and got one of them. Um, I think the only one available would have been Traylon Burks, but I don't know how much in love with him they would have been. But there's not really a great wide receiver comparison here because the Jets have Garrett Wilson. They have a one. 
but this is a really good young player. It's only going to be 23 this year. And the comparison I would probably say is like Jeremiah Wusukormo, ironically selected in the same second round as Elijah Moore. Now, the positional value is different, but that's the type of player you'd have to give up to go get a higher second round pick to move for Rodgers. So I guess there's a lot of moving parts here in this hypothetical world, but like, do you think the Jets are doing the right thing here and chasing Rodgers with everything that comes with them? And would you have been comfortable with Cleveland doing the same thing? Because I, again, don't think it's crazy to think that they could have been in a similar position here. Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated thing, right? Because, um, Very, you, you yeah. know, the, I mean, like I, I, the first thing I think is just necessary to acknowledge is that like, uh, a lot of us weren't really on board with them pursuing Watson. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like, you know, how do you weigh Deshaun Watson and the baggage that he brought to Cleveland versus Aaron Rodgers and the baggage that he would bring to Cleveland and their different ages, you know, and the different trade compensations? I mean, I would tend to believe that this front office, I'll say it this way, I don't think this front office would be interested in Aaron Rodgers. I don't think that they would be in this sweepstakes. Um, you know, I, I think the thing with the Jets is so strange because nobody else is in on it. You know, I mean, the thing with Watson mm -hmm. and why it got so weird was because it was an open bidding process between four or five different teams. And, uh, you know, that pushed things to really a, a fever pitch uh, with the contract, you know, and the, the, the Jets and Rogers thing. It's like if it's if he doesn't go to New York, he probably retires at this point, I would guess. Um, so it, it's it's a it's such a different position, but I just can't see a scenario where the Browns you know, I mean, assuming that they came off of a season of Jacoby Brissett, uh, full, you know, as the full-time starter, were, were willing to give up significant assets for Aaron Rodgers in his current form. You know, I, I think it would just put them in, I think it would put them in a really rough spot, but, but it's so hard to know because we're so used to thinking about the Browns as cap-strapped, you know, since the Watson deal, but, but in that scenario, obviously they really wouldn't be because they'd have rolled over, you know, $40 million or something like that. And, Anyway, I, I think the, you know, the, the point is, is that um, I, I don't think the team would do it. As far as me personally, you know, I, I, I just think the problem with Rodgers is that he has given up, as far as I can tell, he's given up, you know, a lot of his motivation and, uh, you know, seems, seems like he has his, his fingers in some other pies or his, his interests lie elsewhere than football these days, it seems like. And, you know, I guess you could try and sell like the revenge narrative, you know, that the Packers are moving on from him and he feels like he's been mistreated. And so now he's going to try and go scorched earth on the league or whatever. But I, I, I have questions about his ability to do that um, with Nathaniel Hackett as offensive coordinator and Robert Sala as head coach. Like I, I just don't see the fit now Rogers coming to Cleveland with Stefanski, you know, is that, is that a better fit? You know, probably, but I just, yeah, I, I'm not, I basically, I think that, you know, this, this season for the Jets is shaping up to be the, uh, the Vince Young, uh, you know, uh, Namdi Asamoah, two, was that 2011 Eagles where they, they signed everybody that was yeah. available as a free Call themselves a dream team. Exactly. Yeah. It, it feels like that with, you know, with the Odell Beckham stuff swirling around the Jets and, you know, then there was something about Ezekiel Elliott today. It's like they're putting together the 20, you know, the 2016 All-Stars or whatever. It's like that's not really how you build a football team. So I, I'm skeptical about the whole thing. And I, I think that the Browns, if if they hadn't ended up with Deshaun Watson, I, I truly believe would have found a different path to a 
long-term quarterback solution by now so that they wouldn't even really have a path to Rodgers. And I think, you know, whether that would have been through the draft, I know it was, it was sort of a historically bad quarterback draft last year, or if there was some other trade out there that, that we aren't thinking of, or, you know, maybe they end up with, with Matt Ryan in a, in a more advantageous situation than the one he ended up with in Indianapolis. I mean, you know, there's, there's a, a half dozen different ways that could have gone last year. And I, I, I don't, I, the one thing I don't think is I don't think Aaron Rodgers was ever going to really be an option just in the same way that I don't think Russell Wilson was going to be an option for them because of, you know, the, where the player is on the age curve basically, and how obsessed these guys are with age. I think it's fair. I think it's really fair. And it'd be a dream world. It'd be, it'd be such, such a divide. And there's, there's some of that stuff going on now. I, I, I only follow certain accounts from other teams, but I haven't dipped many uh, much invested much time into uh, Jets Twitter, but but looking up reactions to what they did here with um, you know with more has brought me to more and more conversations and just seeing a lot of what people are thinking around the Rodgers deal. And I thought it would be pretty universal for them, given how how good their defense was and and how close you felt like they were. But you know it it, it ended up being like they're clearly a quarterback short here i mean it's historically right. bad stuff at times so i get their perspective on it too so um to your point would i be into it probably more than the browns so i will i will agree with you on that but it's a fun mm. hypothetical to play into because Definitely. we could be we could be in the midst of, of like you just said here of of trying to figure this out and they could they could still be playing that game that uh, that uncomfortable game because you know, I mean, they they played Jacoby Brissett for most of the year. It's not like Deshaun came in and they figured a bunch of stuff out and won a bunch of games here at the end of the year. Like they would have probably been picking twelfth. And again, right, a four quarterback draft, you're in a you're in a weird spot. So yeah, um, well, and that's, an interesting I mean, an interesting hypothetical. Really. Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's what they would be doing. They would be they would have been in 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 line with the Panthers to get the Bears. No, number one yeah. overall pick. I mean, we—that's that's where Browns fans would be right now. Is we would be making homemade CJ Stroud jerseys right now. Be a lot of homemade CJ Stroud jerseys. Um, okay. Well, listen. Let's let's shift. There's the the other team in the division is, you know, I don't ever feel sorry for Baltimore, but but it's weird right now. So, yeah. like the the stuff around Lamar, he he's constantly replying to stuff on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He's constantly paying attention to things that are. Um, you know, surrounding what people think of his his situation. Um, today, in a really strange turn of events, Tom Pelissero comes out and says, Ken Francis is a Florida man, and any time it starts with Florida man. Yeah. It's dangerous territory, Andrew. Good who start. most recently was pitching a home fitness invention. So this came out before we saw – I'll hold off on that. Um, uh, pitching a home fitness invention uh, is what Pelissero says, I'm told. He's now trying to negotiate a nine-figure contract with NFL teams who are being told they're not allowed to negotiate with him because he's not a certified agent. Lamar responds to that by saying, stop lying. That man never tried to negotiate for me with two uh, hysterically laughing emojis. Always love the emojis. So it's, it continues where everything that comes out from an insider about Lamar, it is him saying, that's not true. That's not how it is. I didn't get that, co- that contract offer. And then tonight... <laughs> In, in an even weirder turn of events, we do get the business partner, Ken, and, and Lamar will be dropping the entire gym, which as I'm looking at this, it's interesting, right? You uh, got a little cart here, got some weights you can take with you. Looks like you can pack a yoga mat and an iPad holder on there. And I don't know, I guess you could take this thing out and work out in the football field like Lamar is right now, or some lady is in a park or whatever. But um, 
I think Brad Steinbrook had said that it was like, I thought I was watching a 3 a.m. infomercial, which made me chuckle because I kind of see the point. I just think this is in a weird place. This whole thing with Baltimore is in a weird place. And if you were, if you were hosting Lamar, if Lamar was in Cleveland, he's your quarterback. He's done the things he has done. How, how would you feel? Would you feel comfortable with the Browns acting the way Baltimore is, which is a lot of hesitancy um, and not, you know, not giving in to some giant contract and, trying to protect the franchise, so on and so forth? Or would you be ticked about the prospect here of losing? And it feels like he's going to play somewhere else. I know there are no offers. There's nothing concrete here. But it feels like they're at a point of no return, Yes, uh, at least to me. And yes. um, how – where would you be? Because imagine, like, you know, Baltimore's been lucky. They had the run of Joe Flacco when he was competent for a while. But it's not like Baltimore's had great quarterbacks. It's not like they've been able to – they've had franchise success. Don't get it twisted. But – They've not had great quarterbacks. You get a great young quarterback uh, doing unbelievable things early on, and then you know it might be done after after uh, what is it? Is this year five? Uh, yeah, after his fifth year. And I, I just would be curious if you think the Browns would do the same thing here, and um, would you, if they're doing that same thing we're seeing here, would you be upset about that, or would you understand where they're coming from? I, I I'll be interested to hear what you say because I, I feel pretty confident I know what they do. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot here. So uh, off the top, um, that's the questions the, I ask. The ones that have a lot. Here. <laughs> off the top, uh, the biggest thing that I think we can take away from this Lamar Jackson, you know, situation mess, whatever you want to say, is that it demonstrates the power. And and I don't even want to say power. I want to say the value, the necessity to the current um, media ecosystem around the NFL mm -hmm. of the agent, right? Because th there's, there, there is no narrative to any of this. It's just, it's, all of it is very uh, flabby and inconsistent, right? Different stories come out and then they get contradicted. Nobody has like, it's, it's what, uh, you know, we're going on 10 days of free agency and nobody has written like a very well-sourced piece about what is even going on. Mm -hmm. And that's because there's nobody. I think that's such a great point, Andrew. There would be like, this tweet from Pelissero wouldn't be out there. It would be exactly. a exactly him talking to an agent. Yeah, great. Point. Right. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No. I mean, that's the and that's that. So that's number one. Is that the the job these agents do? I mean, sure. There's I'm sure there's some stuff around negotiating contract language, but you know, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning here. Laramie Tunsil represents himself, and you know, he's obviously you know one of the top three left tackles in the league, and just got paid again by Houston. Um, you know, he, he, he represents himself and, and this, this hasn't been an issue for him because, you know, he, he's going to get paid no matter what. And so, you know, negotiating the contracts, I don't even think is the main thing the agents do. I think really what they do is communicate the player's side in a coherent and, uh, I really think marketable way to the media. And so guys like Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero can go on TV and confidently represent the thoughts of the player as interpreted by the agent. So the alternative to that is Lamar Jackson picking up his phone and dropping a bunch of emojis on us. And it's like, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what's going on. You know, like you can't just deny everything that other people are reporting without telling your side of the story, you know, and then he, 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 he did that one thing that was very cryptic about three years and 130 million guaranteed. So that's one thing, right? That's a mess. From my perspective, my belief has always been that Greg Roman is not a very good offensive coordinator. 
and Jim Har- or sorry, John Har- Harbaugh keeps him around, kept him around because John Harbaugh is a conservative minded head coach who likes to run the ball and Greg Roman's good at running the ball. So I, as a, as a Browns fan, I'm excited that, that Lamar is not going to hopefully not going to get a chance to work with Todd Munkin because I think Todd Munkin is a good offensive coordinator. And I think Lamar Jackson is a really good quarterback. So uh, from my perspective, it's good news that he's moving on potentially at a time when it seems like Baltimore was about to finally get out of their own way uh, with their passing offense. So that's where I'm at to the, to mm-hmm. your, to, to your other question, you know, what would the Browns do if the Browns had Lamar Jackson? I I'm very confident that he would already be fully paid. hundred percent agreement. They, they pay everybody. We've seen yeah. them pay guards. They, they don't pay anybody. <laughs> they love to pay. <laughs> I, I think it would have been done. Yeah. I don't know oh, that absolutely. they would have broke, yeah. but it, it, I mean, Let's keep it transparent too. The 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 Deshaun Watson contract changed everything. It changed yes. everything. And yeah. like I I think Ozzie Newsom even recently said the, the last few days that like yeah. that the Ravens ownership like I don't what did exactly did he say? Well, I think he just he said exactly what you just said that the that the that the contract changed everything and made it harder for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson to get a deal done, uh, which is true. I mean yeah. it's a, that's just true. And, you know, I, I mean, didn't want to misquote it because I didn't read it. Fully, no, I'm not. I'm not quoting it. I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, um, and it's it's true. And let's just say this. Every cent of a baseball contract, you know, if you sign a, a contract with a major league team, you're getting every cent of that contract. Um, if you're a head coach in the NFL, you get every cent of that contract. Uh, Roger Goodell just signed a new contract. He gets every cent of that contract. The only people in the sports world for the most part that don't have guaranteed contracts are football players and they play the most violent game uh and 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 also the richest game in the in the richest country on earth they deserve fully guaranteed contracts that's a different conversation but i just wanted to say it's fair it's very true and it's a it's a weird part of where i can't believe they did a cba again without it i I really i really can't it should be it should be stuff that stops it should be stuff that stops playing the league. Like that's how much they should care about it. So we'll be interested to see if they ever actually do get to that point. But yeah, I mean, to the general point of the question, I, I the Browns have paid. I mean, we have. It's always been funny, and I've always kind of tracked this a little bit. Where uh, there, there's a lot of talk about how uh, analytically driven this group is, which I agree they are in a lot of ways. And and it was always funny to me that there was the conversation around. If a team's not going to pay a running back, it's going to be the Browns. It's right. going to be the Browns. Right. They're going to want to be the ones, right? <laughs> they paid him, and it's they're like, like, "Yeah, um, we'll pay two. We will pay two running backs. Yeah, we will, and we will also pay two guards, right? Yep. They right. just have paid every. And yep. listen, this could mm-hmm. be coming from ownership where they say, "Listen, we're tired of not having talent. And if we get right. it here, you're going to extend them. You're going to you're going to keep them around. That that ultimatum. It's easy to sit here and say, "Hey, don't resign Nick Chubb. Don't do it." When Jimmy uh, Aslam rolls into your office and says, "Hey, by the way, you're resigning Nick Chubb. Guess what right. you're doing? You're you're right. resigning him. You know, so yep. um, you know we're, we we want to keep franchise staples. And there's a lot of ways I could see that going. So there's that element of it that we don't totally know. But uh, to me, it's like looking at the Browns and where the quarterback landscape was before Lamar. Like it's not even a question to me that he would have been. He would have been signed. They would have figured it out, and Cleveland would have paid. And it could be the same for Baltimore. It really could. It, it, it really, it really could. It could have gotten done before last season, for all we know. Yep. So, uh, but again, a fun thing to discuss because Baltimore is just in a really, they're in a really weird spot here, man. So, 
we will sit back and watch uh, the the fire in the room continue to to glow uh, and have no, um, you know, won't feel any level of uh, pity for the Baltimore Ravens. So we'll leave it exactly. as that. We're going to take a quick break, and then Andrew has some fantastic stuff he wants to talk about, which I uh, I look forward to these some good topics. So we are going to take a break, like I said, come back and hit the topics for Mr. Andrew Spade. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Andrew, lay them on me. I think you got some good hypotheticals here, some good discussion points. I'll let you lead off and sure. uh, reel it in. Yeah, so this is a little bit more Browns Brown centric, but it is still just talking about like how they have built this team, you know. Um, so I think the first one, just you know, with the Elijah Moore trade happening yesterday or two days ago now, I guess if this is Friday, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I think it's just worth kind of talking for a moment about the options that they had for wide receiver this year, uh, and and how different the wide receiver landscape this year is compared to last year. Um, and the way that the Browns sort of navigated a really weak group of wide receivers, both free agency and, and trade wise to end up where they ended up, because, you know, I think that there were some other intriguing options. I, I you know, two weeks ago on this podcast, I talked up Cortland Sutton quite a bit. Um, you know, and then obviously mm-hmm. there was a ton of smoke around Jerry Judy. So the, the you got the two Broncos wide receivers. There was quite a you bit. Know, you were leading the Cortland Sutton fan club. Yeah, that what that honest. yes that that wagon is in a ditch somewhere and it's got that flag <laughs> on it for the 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 wrecker to come get it. So it's not it's not drivable at this point. Um, no, you know uh, the DeAndre Hopkins Hopkins thing was you know that was that was the slam dunk back in January, right? Was oh you know Hopkins is definitely going to move on, and he's got this no trade clause, and then it's like oh actually that got voided because he got suspended. So now they can trade him to whoever they want. And, you know, that, that kind of waxed and waned a few times. Um, you know, then there's the free agency class. Do they go after a guy like Jacoby Myers? Do they go after somebody that's more of a, uh, a specific role like Marquise Goodwin, who was rumored earlier this mm-hmm. week, or visited the Browns earlier this week, or uh, Miko Hardman who signed with the jets and the Browns simultaneously due to some Twitter screw ups. Um, you know, which that is also funny, interesting man. considering that trade went down right after, right? Like th- that whole, that was a weird few hours. Um, it was an extremely weird few hours that it yeah. was like, did the Nicole Hardman thing need to drop? Like, right. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Right. Were they, were, yeah. Were the jets weird. waiting to get Nicole Hardman done to trade Elijah Moore? Cause that feels a little backwards to me, but um, I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions about exactly what the jets are doing and, and we talked about those in the first segment. Um, 
So I, I just wanted to talk briefly about how they ended where they landed where they landed because I think you know where they landed in my mind is they gave up relatively little, right? Not losing a pick, only moving back 32 spots. According to the analytics version of the draft chart, the equivalent of like a late fifth, early sixth rounder. Uh, so, so not giving up much at all and getting a player who is, as you, as you said, will play his 23, his year 23 season this fall, uh, has a, has a great athletic profile and has produced despite a really questionable quarterback situation in New York. Uh, it seems like an upside play, right? Uh, he is probably not ever going to be a number one quote unquote, but he is, is going to be a player that consistently contributes and at least for the next two years will consistently contribute uh at a level much higher than his salary which is you know one of the things the browns need to start finding uh and i i think it's 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 not the same uh upside or i should say it's not the same ceiling of you know a jerry judy trade in terms of uh, judy has legit number one ability but it is an upside trade insofar as if if you get a guy who's young and cheap, the upside is he's with your team for, you know, another eight years or so and becomes a, a really strong contributor and, and fills a role that this team has needed in terms of the the shifty quick guy. You've watched a lot of his film. Does that characterization mm-hmm. seem fair for like who he is as a player? Yeah, he can do that stuff. He can do some of the gadget stuff, but he is every bit a good enough wide receiver. Um, the route running stuff is, it's great, man. Yeah. It's really good. And among many other things, I think he does really well. He can line up in a, lo- a bunch of different spots. So, yeah, he's 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 more than will, more than able to do a, a bunch of things that I think the Jets have left a lot of meat on the bone with what he can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, it's you know it's interesting to me because they they kind of chose the you know last year it was it was Cooper and it, it ended up being a heist. Uh, in terms of draft compensation, but but salary wise, it was a big commitment, right? This is this is this is even sort of less of a commitment in terms of resources, right? They're not really out of if this doesn't work, they're not really out of pocket much. So they haven't really committed to this player in a significant way, but they have given themselves a lot of upside in terms of if this hits, they, they you know they're really well positioned. So I think it's. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's like a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a roll of the dice that allows them, if he hits this year, I think you got to feel pretty good about letting Donovan Peoples-Jones walk in free agency next year, right? I thought so. I mean, I, th- I thought it, let me put it this way. I think Jack Duffin laid it out yesterday on the pod that he thinks that they could bring him back. Um, yeah, no, I know. Because does, yeah. of the the 1 million salary, like, right. Um, I would be interested. I think this year will tell the tale there Um, where, you know, you would, you would in theory, it depends on when Donovan gets paid and how much he wants to get paid, because if they're going to play more 11 personnel, like Donovan's not going to get as many targets as he has. And I think he's got a chance to have one of his worst years of the last two years Mm -hmm. leading up to his free agency. And that's why I think if there's like a $7 million figure out there for him, he might, might be interested in taking it. Right. So, I, I mean, like, I don't know. If it's cheap, it's, I, I, if it gets to 11, 12, I'm not really crazy about that. But, Correct. Yeah. I mean, listen, what it does, what more does more, more than anything else, ironically, <laughs> is he gives them options, right? Where yes, exactly. we all thought that no, almost no matter what, if they went out and 
signed somebody that had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, continuing cap down the line, Cooks, Hopkins, whoever, mm-hmm. you couldn't keep Cooper. You were kind of putting an end date on his time in Cleveland and you were putting a expiration on what you could spend on a, on a, on a next deal for Donovan Peoples Jones. So he just, again, I think you've said it, but he gives them flexibility to see what decision right. they can make without forcing anything. Right. And that, that right. is invaluable to them. Right. Um, yeah, the, that the path that I kind of see, Go ahead. the path that I see is that more being that solid number two then allows you to use the flexibility that you have with DPJ becoming free and then Cooper's contract being, you know, no guaranteed money. So you can move that around if you need to, is that it, it does allow them the possibility of pursuing another like high end wide receiver if one were to become available. Right. I mean, and, and you know, it's it's the it's the same old conversation of, you know, you never know, but there's a world in which T Higgins is a free agent next year. Right. And, and that Mm -hmm. combination, then you could move on from Donovan Peoples Jones, bring in somebody like that. And then, you know, because the size of that contract would be so large, you probably would have to move on from Cooper too. But, but I think, like you said, it's, it's really a flexibility move and it, 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 fixes the problem for this year of having more wide receiver depth while giving them options to fix the wide receiver position long-term. Because I still don't think if they're, if you're not sold on Donovan Peoples Jones, then the, the position still really isn't fixed, fixed because of, you know, where Cooper's at in his career and, and contract. And then, and then, you know, it, so it, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting solution that also invites questions for the long-term future of the position but i also it's possible i could be overthinking it no i don't think you're overthinking it because i think there's a lot to think about like there, yeah. there's a lot of directions that room can go so i i, I don't know how in they were on jerry judy i, I don't know they might have been more in than we're led to understand ben albright who's the only one kind of leading the charge there mm-hmm. he could have been off the, there could have been a huge gap between what the browns were willing to give for him and what the what uh, you know the Broncos were willing to to take or whatever like I still think the Broncos giving him up would have been kind of crazy and I but but to me I don't think Jerry Judy is that much better than Elijah Moore I I, I, to your point about I think his maximum and Brad just asked me this on the OBR's Twitch is like I see a thousand yard receiver uh, okay change at times I really do and I think I see a, a version of Brandon Cooks but yeah. again, it's all about where you put him and what, how many targets you get and what kind of passing mm. offense is it. And Jerry Judy has that ability too, uh, uh, beyond some. I think Jerry Judy's fun, but like the gap isn't so wide that I would yeah. be, you know, uh, up, so upset, right? right? I right. just think that like the Browns probably were interested in Jerry Judy. They really were. But when they're looking at this situation, I, ha- I, I personally think this. I think the Jets were chasing 98. I think they were chasing it and Mm. the Browns were probably pretty interested on it, but didn't want to give it up because they knew they weren't getting 42 straight up. But then the Browns came back to them with an answer because I think they wanted him and they said, Hey man, we'll actually give you 42, but you got to give up 74 Mm -hmm. and Elijah to come back to us. And then the jets who are just trying to gather things for this Aaron Rodgers potential situation. We got to take it. So I I don't like, I think the wide receiver market, I'm glad that. and, And I think that we were on path with, Getting an older receiver, you know, Hopkins is going to help you. And if he goes to the Bills, he's going to help them too. Yes. But yes. you got to look at the Bills. The Bills are in a really ugly offensive line situation. And mm-hmm. at some point, they're going to figure that out and pay people and so on. Like the Browns have a lot of these chess pieces on offense in place 
they really had to go get a young receiver. And that's why I was kind of the point I was making about desperation at the position a week ago is like they were going to be calculated. They weren't going to go out and sign right. Jacoby Myers or something. They were going to be calculated about the right cheap deal. And and Jerry Judy's nice because he has a fifth-year option, and that would have been nice for that situation. But you got to remember that the, he has two years left and Moore has two years left. And, right. like, I just – I don't know. I can't sit here and say I know that one was preferred over the other, but I personally just don't think the gap is that wide. He's bigger. Right. The thing you like about Jerry Judy is he's bigger. He's a bigger body. Mm-hmm. He does some of those big body things that wide receivers can do. But And he's a nice route runner as well. But he's got focus drop issues. He's had drop issues. Not not bad, bad, but they're there. He has some of them. And some of that stuff can balance itself out. Like I, I Again, I think that there's a chance – that despite the size d- dis- discrepancy between the two, that the Browns fans just like Elijah Moore more. Mm-hmm. Kind of, he keeps saying the more and more thing, but yeah, you're doing great. He, he catches the football. He plays hard. He is very, very twitchy. He can go get it downfield. He'll break tackles. I just feel really optimistic that it's going to work out. And I've kind of felt that way this off season. And I've been really nervous about uh, people being of the thought that like, I'm too optimistic. I'm too, mm-hmm. you know, I like Okoronko too much or Thornhill too much. And I just don't think that's the case, man. Right. I think these guys fit the needs, yep. the specific things these guys need and they're the right time. And I've been encouraged by a lot of smart football people that are around the NFL who evaluate the entire league saying the similar thing. So yeah, I like more a lot, man. I, I, I certainly see where people would box score, have hesitancy, uh, but but uh, and it's not to say it, it all works out and he has a thousand yard season or two, but I think the potential's there. And that's probably what they're saying to themselves. Yep. If we get this guy away from this quarterback situation he's dealing with in New York, get him into the right route concepts consistently, we get him close to 100 targets. This is a thousand yard receiver. This is a Brandon Cooks level player. He's a similar athlete as close to the athletic marks as a as a relative athletic score as you can get. And like, that's where I think it ultimately landed that we would have to give up 42 and maybe something else for Jerry Judy, or we can just do a pick swap, essentially draft him at 42, Elijah Moore at 42 and have a 70, the 74th pick as well. How, and that's what you're saying. How big do you view that difference between Judy and Moore? And I don't view it to be that big. So right. I think that's a pretty easy answer for them when they when yep. they got the green light. And that right. green light might have come. You're talking about the speed, Andrew. I am. It was weird. It, it like that green light literally might have come when Hardman agreed to come to New York. They might that's have said, like. "Okay, we got the idea now that we can get this a version of him to replace him because what the gadget stuff that they're doing with with Elijah Moore fits a lot more of what McCole Hardman has done with Kansas City. Now, they're changing coordinators and Nathaniel Hackett's coming in and who the hell knows? But it felt like they said, okay, we got the guy to replace him. And it was weird because I guess like was Cleveland in, there was no visit. There was really no real connection, but it's like clearly, you know, uh, Fowler had a draft uh, right. of that tweet and he forgot to take out Cleveland. So maybe Cleveland was in I, it's, it's all intertwined in a weird yep. way, man. I don't know but it felt like they got Hardman and then they called Cleveland back and said, okay, we'll do the pick swap deal. We're, we're fine with doing it. Let's just get it done. And that yeah. that's the vibe I got because you're right. We were all kind of like the circles of our Slack discussion and Twitter discussions were centered around like, this is crazy that they would screw this tweet up and 
all of a sudden, like, boom, I, I had to double check if it was a real tweet because I couldn't believe the feet, like the speed at which that happened right uh, between the two. But but yeah, I, I don't know if I even answered the question you originally asked, but I I, I like it. I like I like a lot yeah. of things around no, it. And I, I think when you when, when you frame it of Judy or more right. versus what you give up two young players, exactly. two years of cheap contract. Right. I think it's pretty easy to arrive where they arrived. Yeah. No, I think that's and that's the interesting thing about it is that despite the fact that I think Judy is seen across the league as as probably a, a better player now and, and probably a player with greater upside, you you end up with a player in Moore who also has upside and preserves your flexibility at the position because they really do have they have a good set of wide receivers right now and they have the ability to continue to manipulate that room, you know, going into next offseason where um you know, they, they would have, they wouldn't have next year's first round pick to trade, but they would be able to trade the 25 first if they wanted to, or, you know, if somebody became mm-hmm. available, or like I said, if a free agent, you know, the next year's free agent class, it's always hard to predict a year ahead, who's going to be a free agent. But if, if somebody were to shake loose, all of a sudden you would have the flexibility to do that. And, and I, I you know, getting a player that fits right now while also preserving future flexibility is I think a, a big hallmark of the, the sorts of decisions that they've made here. Um, what, and what I would say too, real quick before we yeah, shift please. off that is it, you're, you're wondering why I, I think that the Browns, I would guess that their view of the Broncos was that, and this should be pretty obvious, but I'm just going to say it was they don't have a time frame here. They will sit on That's, this Jerry yes, Judy thing exactly. as long as they want right. while the jets are clearly under a microscope to get the stuff they need for Aaron Rodgers. Right. So I think it was just a, it could, we could look back at this in two years and be like, the Browns were just in the right place at the right time. Like mm-hmm. they just were sitting there waiting for the jets. They'd been, they, I think they clearly called about him in season. I, I really think those conversations happened True. and they knew the Browns wanted him and they're like, okay, we signed Hardman. We probably had some preliminary discussions with the Browns, but call him and tell him we'll do this. Let's just get it over with. Yep. And that's how it worked out. And yep. I think we should all be pretty thankful. It did. Like, and again, the step-by-step to how they got there makes makes a ton of sense to me. It really does. Yeah. And, and, and puts them, you know, they're, they're really, uh, and this, this is, this is kind of the next thing I want to talk about. They're really, I think one more signing at defensive tackle away from not having any needs roster wise going into the draft, which is a, is a really strong position to be in and really where a team, you know, with their aspirations wants to be right. And so, you know, uh, sort of, catapulting from there, I think the question then becomes, you know, there are players that the Browns have drafted over the past few years that this front office has drafted uh, that are kind of still around on the roster as depth players. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm one of the things that I'm curious to see over the next, you know, month, two months, as we move past free agency and then start to get into the off season program is uh, you know, how, how do they see those players? Do they see, you know, for example, I mean, the guy that the guy that gets beat up the most is Jordan Elliott, right? But another player that's in that same conversation is Jacob Phillips, and beyond him, you know, uh, is the you know the entire conversation about who Anthony Schwartz is at this point, or Harrison Bryant, or I mean, and this is a this is a stranger one, but you know how they see the cornerback room with with Martin Emerson and, and uh, Greg Newsom, I and I think. You know, one of the things that, that that you mentioned talking about not wanting to be too optimistic, not wanting to come across as too optimistic about Okoronkwo's fit or Elijah Moore's fit, you know, part of that is that you, you can, when you watch tape when they're coming in, 
it's they can be they can be exactly what you and it's the, it's the John Johnson problem, right? You can see all the things that John Johnson does well, and then September rolls around and Joe Woods does none of them, right? And it's like, well, I wouldn't have been as excited about this signing if I had known that Joe Joe Woods was going to refuse to use John Johnson the way that he's supposed to be used. So yeah, uh, I have a similar question about some of these, uh, you know, draft Browns drafted players who are on the roster and should be contributors, should be depth pieces. But my question is essentially, can the Browns afford to trust these guys as depth pieces that the, that the, the new defensive coaching staff will be able to utilize them in a different manner that will make them useful players? Or do they need to continue to push these guys kind of off the roster? I mean, you, you see it at defensive tackle a little bit, right? They signed three. I mean, Tomlinson is the big name, but they also signed Maurice Hurst and Tristan Hill. If they keep those three guys plus Perry and Winfrey, that's the room, right? And so there's no there's no more room for Elliott or Togi uh, in that conversation probably. So it's one of the things that I'm interested to watch is how much more competition do they want to add to try and push some of these guys to a point where they're they're truly – you know, on the way to being cut. And I know it's, it's a case by case player to player, but I do think it's one of the interesting conversations about as they finish this roster, how, how aggressive or how, uh, I guess, how satisfied are they with these guys playing a role this year? That's a great, the defensive side of the ball is the one that's most interesting to me. You know, like we will, we will write off a bunch of people uh, who we've just been tired of watching, but who knows, like, for example, to me, who knows how um, Jim Schwartz feels about Jacob Phillips? He might love what he's seen on film from him, and he's just like, "I got to get that guy healthy. I can make it work." There's right. there's some of that mystery. Now, I do think that they are going to continue to churn the bottom of the roster now in a way that is more meaningful. Players like the signing. Here's examples that I'm seeing early examples of. Yeah, we like some of our drafted guys, but we're going to swing for people that we think can can make a bigger impact. Jordan Akins, right? They could have been very happy with just is Akins or Atkins. It's probably Atkins. There's no T, but it's I, I don't know. I, I think it's Akins. Pronounce his name. Maybe Akins. Um, but but that that's an example of like they could have just rolled into the draft with Harrison Bryant and just said, okay, we're going to run out his rookie deal and that's that. But they didn't. And like to me, there's other signs. The Mike Ford signing at corner. Um, not that they are going to release any of their guys, but like there's just the um, um, Adams at linebacker. Was it Matthew Adams? I think. Um, yes. The, so like, I just, I think that they're going to continue to challenge these guys uh, that, that they have drafted in a way that they weren't doing before because they know that the depth needs to be better. I, I think that they are going to continue to challenge them with more fringe type free agents who, you know, when you look at like the defensive tackle situation here, if Tristan Hill or Maurice Hurst outperform those young guys, I think they'll keep them. I really do. They're looking for guys that can that come in and challenge these young players so that those young players don't feel like just because they drafted me, I'm going to be here. Right. I think that's a part right. of it too. Like yes. you need your young guys drafted to not feel like oh, I got three years here, no matter what, because they drafted me not like you mm-hmm. need to feel the pressure of a desperate NFL body trying to take your roster spot. So I think they're going to trend more in that direction as they get towards a, a layer where, again, I talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this earlier in the week or not. They're publicly saying we're ready to go. They're not yeah, just they like, are. oh, look, if I follow their breadcrumbs and their acts. No, we switched it. We're not doing the 
building the Browns are doing unleashed here. So they are <laughs> publicly in on, on yes. like their branding, Andrew, which matters, right? Yes, They're not going to do that branding without talking to Kevin and Andrew about this. No, we're and Andrew even said it himself. Like we're doing this because we're not, we're done building. We're, we're, we're in, we're all in the mm-hmm. excuses are gone, blah, blah, blah. So um, yeah, man, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot going on there, but I do think there's going to be less comfort from guys drafted here that they just get to stick around just because, and yeah. it should be that way. There should be pressure yeah. on you to come in, develop and earn a roster spot just because you get drafted in the fourth round. Doesn't mean you're guaranteed to be here. And I never right. want it to be that. Way. No. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's such welcome news for me because, you know, there are reasons for it, but there was just, there was, there was, it felt at times that there was a little complacency last year in terms of how they pushed guys for some of those spots to your point and, and the amount of investment that went into some, the depth of positions. And again, I, there were reasons they were, they were saving money. Um, but I, I want to see more of that this year. I, I certainly want to see them add another defensive tackle to start because I don't think they have another starting caliber defensive tackle on the roster currently. But, mm-hmm. but even beyond that, and I know I'm harping on defensive tackle a ton, they need more depth at safety, for example. They, they do not have a third safety on the roster currently. They, you know, we, we had talked at different times about do they go out and add a, a, a veteran slot corner that can really handle that position specifically. Um, you know, uh, the, the, obviously they address the wide receiver depth. They, they, they have a running back depth issue right now, uh, in all honesty. So, you know, how they continue to kind of push at some of those positions will be something that I'm very interested to see over the next month. And it's not the sexy stuff, right? I mean, there's no splash signings of like the third string running back where, you know, that's the thing that uh, now we're talking championship, but I do think it speaks to where they see themselves in their cycle to, to your point about, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of done building. And so this is where, you know, the guys that they bring in need to be able to play credibly and contribute credibly and, you know, we, we've talked about this certainly before. It probably also extends to the draft, drafting guys that maybe uh, fall outside the age guardrails a little bit because they are ready to contribute this season, which is another thing that they are, you know, I mean, they're not drafting till 74 now, so it's going to be really hard to find a starter at that spot. But certainly you can find guys that can contribute in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. For sure. I think the, the age guard rule gets thrown out the later you go anyway, so – Right. I just think we should be discussing it less now more than ever. I think when mm-hmm. you're doing heavy investments of first and second round picks, like totally makes sense to me, but uh, it's pretty obvious that they are, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're cashing in a lot of their chips here. And that means that if you're going to, you're going to bring in people uh, drafting around 75 and then again around a hundred, like you just need to find guys who can play. I don't That's care right. how old you yep. are. Can you play Sweet or can dudes. you not play? Yep. Um, and uh, we'll see how that strategy goes. This will be a, yep. A very interesting year for seeing how that strategy ends up uh, ends up looking, but it, to me, it's a no brainer that you mm-hmm. just you can't get to that point in the draft and be like, well, you know, he's twenty two, and it's right. <laughs> no, can he play or can he not play? So right. I hope that they get that part of it right. Yeah. I, I have a, a decent feeling that they will, but uh, you never know until you see it. There's an yep. evidence thing with a lot of things with the Browns this year, but the, the mm-hmm. draft should tell us an interesting tale on that one. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay, one one more crazy theory, and I think that probably wraps us up time-wise. Um, so this is, this is, this is just something that I was thinking about this week. Um, and I can't remember what signing it was, but there was some signing where the, you know, the Browns were rumored to be interested. And it just got me thinking about how often they seem to quote unquote miss on players. 
that they are, that they were quote unquote interested in. You know, we've had this conversation, you and I, a few times about, um, you know, the, the, the current, the way that the sausage is made right now in the NFL rumor complex. And, and obviously it's, you know, it's, it's agents talking to, we talked about this earlier with the Lamar Jackson thing is agents talking to these national NFL reporters, Mike Garofalo, Tom Pelissero, Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter, these, you know, Jeremy Fowler, these guys all, uh, you know, have all of the agents that represent players, phone numbers in there. And it's just a constant back and forth of everybody's talking to everybody. Right. So my Mm -hmm. theory essentially is when those guys are talking, you know, it's the job of the reporter to ask the uh, agent, well, what teams have you been talking to? Right. And so it's in the best interest of the agent to say, as many teams as possible, right? He's not going to be like, well, actually, uh, not really anybody. The phone's not ringing and nobody wants to sign <laughs> my clients, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? That's not how, you know, so if you have even, if you've gotten like a missed call from a 216 area code, you're like, yeah, the Browns called, you know, like you're, mm-hmm. you're just, you're going there, right? So here's, here's, here's the crux of it. We know how diligent Andrew Barry is as a, uh, a fact finder. He has mentioned that himself multiple times that he will have, uh, uh, you know, almost a numberless uh, amount of conversation, an infinite number of conversations about trades and potential signings. And I, he is, I think they're one of their philosophies. I think this front office is information is power, right? And so if we know from, uh, Let's say from uh, talk talk about a free agent who's still available, Matt Ioannidis, right? If we know from Matt mm-hmm. Ioannidis what you know what his market is, then we can much more accurately sort of predict where that market is going as a whole, right? That's, that this is what made the Amari Cooper trade. And that wasn't an accident that they got in on that before the wide receiver market exploded last offseason. They that was the product of them doing their research and understanding that. Devonte Adams wants paid and AJ Brown wants paid and Tyreek Hill wants paid. And so if we want a wide receiver, we have to strike now because we might be, it might seem like we're paying too much now, but in three months, it, it'll, this will be like the 10th expense, most expensive contract in the league. So because mm-hmm. they're always doing that research, they are calling agents constantly to understand where they stand in relationship to the players and where the players markets are. That means that anytime uh, Adam Schefter calls an agent and says, hey, uh, who, you know, who has called about uh, Javon Hargrave, the agent can credibly say the Browns have called because they, they're calling about everybody. So my theory is essentially that the Browns are reported to be in contact with almost, I mean, Mary Kay Cabot had the Browns talking to every free agent before tampering began, right? That's because they are, because they're trying to gauge the market it doesn't mean that they're going to sign that player. And so that's, you know, that is the, the, I think the Browns talk to my guess just off the top of my head is they talk to twice as many players as any other team in the league. That's just, that's just a, this is a total hunch. And that makes it seem like they are in on every player, even though they aren't. That is, um, listen, that's, that's really well articulated. I almost like the, the, the phrase of no notes. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost there. I think you might, be right. I think, listen, it's weird to me that there was no connection between McCole Hardman and it would be weird to me that the Browns would, the, to your point, it would be weird to me. I think he's the perfect example. It mm-hmm. would be weird for me for the, to think that the Browns 
were waiting on McCole Hardman's decision to pull the trigger on the Jets deal. I don't think right. so. I think the Browns probably gauged his market at some point. Exactly. And then when he was asked, because McCole Hardman's market is moving slowly, hasn't gotten a good deal, a good, a no good offer. Who have you talked to? Well, you know, we talked to Baltimore a little bit. We talked to Cleveland. We talked Cleveland right. called. And then Fowler's like, okay, I know all these teams. I got drafts made for all these teams that they just mentioned. Right. Cleveland being one of them. I don't think that's the case. I don't think Cleveland was ever interested in McCole Hardman. They shouldn't be. But they, they, because if they were and they and they missed out, there wouldn't be some quick plan to come together right. for Elijah Moore. There really right. wouldn't. So I think you're right. I think that like that when those who are reaching out to agents are reaching out, I think that there is definitely a connection between like, yeah, Cleveland checked in. Right. And they probably are. They probably are gauging a bunch of markets to figure out what does your client want? What's his value? Yeah, they, they should. And I, I would I would not to say other teams aren't doing it. But if the Browns are kind of out in front of that, it's it's pretty fun to think about. But right, um, you know, I I certainly do think, man, w- w- they are investigating things often. Uh, put mm. it that way, and, the, and like like the the deal for, I think they're putting in a lot of work. The deal for Dalvin Tomlinson happening at near midnight, I am not surprised exactly. by that. Right, I think they're putting in a lot of work and trying to figure out things. So, right. um we're going to leave this podcast with the idea that the Browns are smarter than everyone else. On this one. Um, uh, but, but again, they, they, they really, they really could be doing some of this that you're talking about and, and um, calling more, more players and more um, agents than, than a lot of other teams are because they're, they are interested in figuring out values. And yeah. if this player is at that value, which teams would be interested in that? And is that exactly. team going to get, you know, then move off of that player because of it right. kind of thing. So, right. Yeah, man. Whereas Fun I, theory. I, you know, I think there's legs I, to that. Yeah, I think like an old school GM, you know, like a John Dorsey type would say, well, why the hell would I call, you know, why the hell would I call some tackle? We don't need a tackle. You know, I'm not going to call mm-hmm. his agent. You know, I'm not going to check in on that player. I think it's it's a it's a different way of seeing it that I think that they believe that if they can get enough information, they can predict or understand where things are going a lot of the time. Not all the time, right? Nobody's Nobody's, you know, perfect in the prediction world, but... But if you have more information, you have a better chance of being able to predict where things are going and kind of be that step ahead so that you understand something. For example, you know, the, the McCole Hardman thing, if if you know he's about to sign with the Jets, then you have already laid the groundwork for that trade because it's like, well, you guys can't keep eight wide receivers. So, you know, you want to do this pick swap or what? Yeah, they, they talk about that all the time, too. Right. You, you mentioned a phrase there, information. You know, having information, that's a huge thing that Andrew and Kevin are always talking about. More information at our fingertips, having information, information, information. And I don't think that that is, I don't think that that's phony. I think they do operate that way. And I would not be surprised. Listen, it hasn't yielded itself into wins on the field like we'd hope. But I do think they're doing a bunch of smart things in that front office. I really do. Now, ironically, this is a franchise mode discussion for us uh, down the line at some point. The pressure is squarely on Kevin Stefanski. And, right. Yep. Um, again, not even going to get into that in any way, shape or form here. Like, like I said, you and I will talk about that later, but I think that the front office is doing some really good stuff. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Again, those are bigger, longer discussions to have down the line, but they're doing a great job. Listen, we're going to wrap this up. It's been, a, it's been a long pod, but, but I, again, a ton of great topics and hypotheticals across the NFL and tying them back to your Cleveland Browns are laid out here. I have more fun with franchise mode than any other part of the weekend or so always appreciate you, man. It's a pleasure, Jake. Have a good night. For Andrew, for me, for the OBR staff, again, check out the uh, 
Elijah Moore content. We have uh, a bunch of analytics stuff up on him. We have contract details. Uh, Mike Ford were released, and then the one for Matthew uh, Matthew Adams, uh, the linebacker the Browns signed from the Bears. And um, Fred Greetham wrote up a lot of the quotes from uh, Elijah Moore's intro press conference, if you're interested in some of the things he had to say about his time with the Jets and how excited he is to be in Cleveland. So check all of that out in another day of good content coming for you on Friday. So again, have a great Friday, guys. I'll be back for another Saturday episode with a quick mock draft and some other thoughts. Until then, have a great night. Well, I guess a great day when you'd be listening to this. Have a great day and go Browns.